When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Bobby and I'm your friend who knows just a little bit too much about pop culture. Welcome to your weekly meeting of Pop Culture Fanatics Anonymous. Happy spooky season, everyone. Now is the time where it is, I think, socially acceptable to bring out those pumpkins, decorate your house and ghouls and bats, and start planning out the most excellent costume for a party that you haven't even been invited to yet. If you're like me, you know that while candy and a crisp chill in the air can put you in the spooky spirit, those things are no match for the spirit that I get put in when I watch my favorite sitcom Halloween special. The one episode in a season where your favorite characters are in costumes, the plot is nonsensical and more than likely not canon, and the points well and truly do not matter. Holiday-themed episodes of sitcoms in general are amongst my favorite, but the Halloween one can give you so much backstory into a character's personality simply from what costume they choose or their general disposition to the holiday. Like, think about Jem Halpert from The Office, who gave little effort in his costumes but still wanted to be festive, i.e. him going as three-hole punch Jem, versus Kelly Kapoor, who always came in an elaborate pop culture-themed costume. It says a lot about the character. For almost as long as we've had television, we've gotten a spooky edition of it for the Halloween season. And this week, we're taking a haunted walk down memory lane through the history of the Halloween sitcom episode and why they're so good, while making a few pit stops at some of the most iconic ones on the way. So if this sounds good to Boo, if this sounds good to you, let's get started. And buckle up, there's going to be bad Halloween puns plenty for this episode. I just want to have fun, okay? So there is no quote-unquote all Halloween specials were worth from this one special point in the pop culture history of the sitcom Halloween special, but I think this special could be a good place to start. So... Our journey begins with perhaps one of the greatest of the Halloween TV specials, and that is 1966's Is the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown. This was actually the second in the Charlie Brown holiday specials following a Charlie Brown Christmas, of course. And it's honestly hard to decipher which is the most iconic of them. That's a story and a a one-sided debate for another day. But I I do think that uh, I love the Charlie Brown Christmas episode, but I will say the Halloween one, it it takes the cake in a lot of ways. 
Charlie Brown is a mainstay for the major holidays on television, and I think that is due in large part to just how endearing the specials are. Like, I have very vivid memories of watching either a Charlie Brown Christmas or is the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown um, when I was in elementary school. Like, obviously, as I got older, it wasn't as, you know, consistent of a tradition of me watching it, but... In elementary school, we all know that like for the major holidays like Christmas or Halloween, uh, right before we would go on any type of extended break, we would have a party or like when I was in elementary school, we would have a party. Christmas was most prominent because we would go on Christmas break. Um, and so the last few days before that break would commence, uh, nothing would be getting done. So it would just be, you know, pure chaos and havoc. But Halloween, because there wasn't a defined break, we would still make an effort to have like a little party. Um, I don't think if I'm, tr I'm in trying to remember, I don't think I ever went to school where like wearing costumes was super duper allowed, but we still like were able to kind of dress somewhat festively. Um, and we would have these kind of like all day parties, um, themed around Halloween. And that's when we would watch It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Um, and we would also watch it in well into November too, I remember. They kind of just used it as a coverall fall themed special. So not only did I watch it in school, eating those delicious like frosted cookies um, that you get at the grocery store, they kind of just like crumble upon impact of you touching them. They're amazing. If you think anything less of them, you're wrong. Um, delicious. Not only did I watch the special then, but then at home, it would play every single year on TV, mainly on ABC. And unfortunately, now that tradition is no longer a thing because I think Apple TV Plus owns it now. So it's behind a paywall, which sucks. But you, if you, most of us do have most of the streaming platforms because we just are trying to convince ourselves that we're not just turning back into cable again, but whatever. That's a, again, a debate for another day, but most of us have Apple TV and you can probably find It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown on there. And I think a lot of what we actually associate Charlie Brown with, because there wasn't a, a TV show, like Charlie Brown kind of existed solely in the specials because it was a comic strip originally that made the jump to television and had these specials for the different holidays. So a lot of what we actually associate Charlie Brown with, you know, like the whole like good grief, um, Charlie Brown, like missing the, uh, the football, uh, like Lucy, like pulls it out from under him. Like a lot of those things actually came from this special. Um, so you guys know me, you know, I am a fun fact girly. I love a good fun fact. So I actually wanted to share a few fun facts about It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown with you. The first one being that what I mentioned, the kind of like iconic, the really like massive iconography of Charlie Brown, which is Lucy pulling the football away from him right as he goes to kick it and he like kind of flies through the air this was the special where we saw that animated for the first time it was in it's the great pumpkin charlie brown um another really interesting fact which kind of just lends itself to i think why charlie brown has been so endearing and i think this one particular trait for any show that uses this practice that I'm about to tell you, makes it a little bit more wholesome and endearing and warm feeling. And that is that in Charlie Brown, famously, like the cast of the kids were actually played by kids. And you think that would be an easy 
thing to do. Obviously, you have children, you're going to cast children. It wasn't always so um, because, you know, children are sometimes just hard to work with. So this was like a very uh, a rare occurrence at this time of the full cast being actual kids playing the characters. And one of the kids named Kathy Steinberg, um, she was six at the time and she plays Sally, who is Charlie Brown's little sister, um, who's constantly yelling at, at everyone, especially Linus, poor thing. Um, but the the actress, Kathy Steinberg, actually had a loose uh, front tooth. And there was, during the kind of production of It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and a lot of the, the producers were really worried that when it fell out, because it was at the front of her teeth, it's going to impact her speech and give her a little lisp. Like if you've talked to any six-year-old who has uh, missing teeth, they have just the thickest lisp you've ever, <laughs> you've ever heard in your life. So they were really worried that it was going to fall out before they were able to get all of her lines in. And so they were really, really, really concerned about it. And of course, as fate would have it, it wasn't until she delivered her final line for that special. And literally after delivering it, the two fell out. So it all, it all worked well with each other. So it was, it was fine. It ended up being fine, but it was just a, a very funny coincidence. And the last a little fun fact is that the the kind of running gag of Charlie Brown getting a rock for uh, candy instead of like, you know, an actual treat while trick or treating actually worked its way over into real life because the voice actor who was a 10 year old boy named Peter Robbins for Charlie Brown actually got rocks. Uh, that year when he went trick-or-treating. Uh, many people had seen the special and obviously could recognize him from his voice and it actually gave him rocks for 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 Halloween, for trick-or-treating, which is sad. It's very sad, but it's also kind of, it's a little funny. It's a little funny. It's, it's sad that a kid got rocks, but you know, come on. I hope he got some like other candy with it too. And apparently um, a lot of the, the producers were kind of going back and forth about whether that gag of Charlie Brown getting a rock while trick-or-treating, like how often it should occur. And um, it, they ended up kind of deciding on the a natural cadence for it. But in the wake of, of that gag in the special, kids from all over the world sent like, hordes of candies and chocolates specifically for Charlie Brown because they felt bad that he got rocks while trick-or-treating which is just very sweet and a very like 60s thing to happen you know what I mean like I don't necessarily know if people can or even are like sending fan mail like that but that is just a very like relic of of the the old olden olden times uh if you will when it comes to how people directly interact with uh, a TV show or a movie or anything like that. So I thought that was just very, very interesting. But yeah, it's the Rick Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. I mean, it's it's a TV classic. It is one of those things that just kind of gets passed down from generation to generation. I hope it's still getting passed down from generation to generation as far as um, just a tradition, like a television tradition. And traditions within TV are still relatively like, you know, they're still relatively new, like t TV as a, the advent of what we know it as, like as a consistent, uh, you know, producer of 
television shows, specials, etc. is still relatively new. Like not new in like it's 20 years old, but it's like probably right at 100 years old, which for a technology is not very long in the grand scheme of things. So to have this kind of like still, you know, relatively, relatively, relatively new piece of technology, still being able to advance and transform and the the content that's on it is, you know, advancing and transforming to still have something that serves as a, a tradition that can be passed down from generation to generation. At this point, it is, you know, the great pumpkin Charlie Brown is 50 years old. Uh, so there's probably at least like five generations of people who have all gathered around Halloween night um, and, and watched this, the special and can share those memories with each other. So from a sentimental point of view, I think this was amongst the best, even though Charlie Brown is on a sitcom proper. It's a funny special. It's something for the kids, something to laugh at. You know what I mean? So as we make our way through the decades, we got all of our favorite sitcoms churning out Halloween specials, mainly with the premise of the characters throwing a costume party. There are quite literally too many sitcoms to count that use that exact premise as the kind of, that's the Halloween special for that season. It's just, oh, what what costume am I going to be? And it's like one character puts a lot of effort into their costume. The other one doesn't. And then there's someone who like hates Halloween. And then there's probably like one spooky occurrence where a light turns off and they think it's a ghost. Like that premise can be applied to like probably 20 different sitcom episodes. But in the 80s, we began to see, not often, but we began to see kind of random offshoots of the spooky TV special that definitely walk the line between very campy fun and spooky scary. And a good example of this is Elvira's Halloween special from 1986. Now, Elvira, Mistress of the Night, was a walking spooky persona. And she did it year round, but she was obviously at her most powerful during the Halloween time. And if you don't know, Elvira is the goth lady with like the big hair. She wore like an all black dress and she had the big um, jack-o'-lanterns. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's Elvira. Um, and the 1986 edition of, of her special is perhaps, like I said, the best, the perfect example of like good, campy, spooky fun on TV. Now we saw this a lot in film, obviously in the sixties, you got a lot of B, B genre like sci-fi and horror. And there was this kind of like weird countercultural like upswing with a lot of the very like campy horror movies and everything. But on TV, we weren't getting that all that much. Like Halloween was still relatively traditional in that time. And we, not to say that we just straight up didn't get it, because obviously we had somewhat countercultural television that was themed around spooky things with the Addams Family and the Monsters, which premiered and uh, had their season series finales on the exact same day. Um, so we kind of had a sunrise and sunset of spooky television uh, at the same exact time, which is very interesting. But we hadn't seen kind of this, you know, grand showing of a more, I would say mature, um, like campy B genre horror. And the Elvira Halloween special is a really good example of this. Now, the special doesn't really have like a plot proper. 
it's just more of like a somewhat scary parody of those like Halloween TV specials where they like teach you how to make like treats or crafts. Um, it was very like Martha Stewart-esque, like pre-actual Martha Stewart. It was just like a good like special where they were leaning into the reason for the season and this season was spooky season um it's actually really good it's on youtube and it is so interesting <laughs> um because the, at least the cut that i saw of it is just fried to hell it is it is it is toasty as far as the quality of it but it's still pretty good um there's like a a commercial parody that's like supposed to be like a a Barbie doll, but it's like an Elvira doll. Um, and at the very end of it, they say breasts sold separately, which I just think is hilarious. So if you're kind of into the more B genre, sci-fi horror side of things, the Elvira Halloween special is on YouTube and it's, it's available for you to watch. And it's kind of just like, like I said, there's no plot. It's just Elvira going through these different like Halloween parody and uh commercial like parody situations and also there's like a lot of music videos too both of her music and just like general like monster mash-esque music featuring elvira it's strange but it's fun it's very fun i kind of i watched a little bit of it before doing this 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 episode and i'm gonna definitely go back and and watch the thing in in its entirety um because it's just it's so camp it's camp and it's fun you know what i mean everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in if you are a woman over 35 magnesium will help you rediscover balance energy and vitality Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. As we make our way into the 90s, we find ourselves with TV redefining the Halloween special from not just the act of Halloween kind of happening in the universe, i.e. the characters of a TV show throwing a costume party, but actually putting the characters in an actual horror context. And the best example of this is season five, episode 17 of Boy Meets World. And that episode is entitled, And Then There Was Sean. If you don't know, this episode is essentially a slasher episode of the teen sitcom that finds all of the main characters of the series in detention and one by one they're picked off by this killer. Obviously, Boy Meets World was a TGIF show, so they weren't showing any actual like maiming of anyone on camera, but they definitely like pushed the bounds of the series for sure. It premiered in 1998, I want to say in February, maybe, of, of 1998. So it's a Halloween special, but wasn't 
it wasn't released during Halloween time. And that is not from really the fault of the show. It just is just how TV works. Um, sometimes you're going to have, you're going to do two, maybe three or two uh, seasons within a year. And sometimes those episodes may not come until the first half of the year. So you're not always going to be able to line it up to where you're doing a, a, a an episode for Halloween time. It's confusing, but sometimes that's just how it happens. Yeah, it was, it aired February 27th of 1998. So it is exactly, uh, not exactly, but it is nine months older than I am. Uh, this episode is nine months older than I am. So, but it's actually really, really interesting. Like I've mentioned a a few times on here that I have been working my way through Boy Meets World uh, for the official first time. I remember watching it kind of as a kid, uh, but not, it was, I think it went off in like 2000. So obviously I wasn't partaking in Boy Meets World when I was like two, you know what I mean? Um, But I've been watching it now going back as an adult and it's a really good show. Like I really, really enjoy it. But this episode stuck out to me because it is a slasher. It's a slasher episode of a teen sitcom, which is an insane thing, but it makes sense because when this episode came out, it kind of fell on the backdrop of, you know, at this point there were two Scream movies that were out and I Know What You Did Last Summer. And speaking of I Know What You Did Last Summer, this episode stars a young Jennifer Love Hewitt who had just starred in I Know What You Did last summer at that time. And she was also dating Will Friedle, Um, And so she appears in in this episode. Um, and so it just feels like, and I read a um, an Entertainment Weekly kind of retrospective on the episode as told by Ryder Strong, Danielle Fischel, and Will Friedle, um, who play Sean Topanga and Eric Matthews, respectively. Um, and they were talking about like the, the process of filming it and just the kind of like off the wallness around the episode um, and how it was kind of just like, again, kind of a random offshoot of the series, but was still very, very fun to film. And it kind of worked its way like back into the main plot of of the show, which at this time in the, the series, I think Corey had like just cheated officially on Topanga with Linda Cardellini's character on a ski trip. And that was kind of, there was some, you know, kind of bad blood between the, the trio of Topanga, Corey and, and Sean. And so while the main plot of the episode, obviously that there's this killer going around and taking people out, um, is not canon. They, at the end kind of work their way back to the main storyline of the season at that point, which is pretty cool. There was, I think, just a lot of it's. It's such a 1998 episode. <laughs> it just really is so. It's so 1998, and like, not in a bad way. Like, I think sometimes when we say like, "Oh, this is just so you know dated," or blah 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 blah, like it's not dated in a bad way. It just, like I said, it comes at the backdrop of these very massive horror movies, and so it makes sense that a show um, you know, themed to teenagers would have an episode like this because not only were the, the teenagers in the show, 
probably watching those movies and really enjoying them. The audience was also seeing these movies and, and enjoying them too. So it makes sense that there would be an episode that was themed to that and having that in the background. Like I said, you guys know me, I am a scaredy cat little baby when it comes to horror, but I really love this episode solely because it you can tell that they put a lot of love and effort into it and just really leaned into the kind of insanity of it all. Um, one thing I did notice <laughs> was, was when watching the episode, Will Friedle just kept finding ways to like make out with Jennifer Love Hewitt and them dating at the time. It made sense. Um, there would just be moments where you just find them just making out. And within the context of the show, Jennifer Loves Hewitt's character is just a random other student. So this is just Eric Matthews randomly making out with this other student that we never see again in the show. Um, but the kind of, you know, the backdrop of it being that they were dating at the time, it makes sense. Um I love all the the references. Like I said, I mentioned, you know, Scream and I know what you did last summer, but there's also a lot of Scooby-Doo references, which obviously if you're going to have a Halloween special, you got to mention Scooby-Doo. And Scooby-Doo had too many specials to count both on TV and in in film. And honestly, that deserves an episode all by itself if you want to go into the complete lore of Scooby-Doo. Scoobert has done quite a bit in, in the horror space. Um, but there's also a lot of South Park references, which again, just kind of lead, lends itself to the very 1998-esque-ness of this, of this, of this episode. It just was fun. I don't know. Like, I, um, I don't know. I just quite enjoyed this. And there's kind of a very, like, philosophical meaning at the end because the reveal is that like, you know, spoilers, I guess, for this 25 year old episode, um, or 24 or 25 year old episode is that um, Sean is the killer. And then there was Sean, Sean was the killer. Um, and it's kind of showing that he's, he's staring at his own, you know, jealousy, and he's, he's at his worst self and everything like Sean is a very, while he is I wouldn't say dumb. He's dense at times. Um, he is a very, you know, emotionally like in touch or tries to be at least character. And so having this kind of philosophical ending, it, it makes sense. Like it's very on par with who Sean is. He's very in, in the know with that, especially at this time in the series. I feel like I'm giving all of my, like, this is just a boy meets world retrospective at this point, but walk with me. Um, at this point in the series, Sean is, you know, like dating Angela. And I think this is when Sean is seen at his best when he's with Angela. I still hold up and I've said this on both Twitter and other people's podcasts that Sean and Angela, I think, were the best couple of of that show. It was not Corey and Topanga. Corey and Topanga were toxic. And Sean and Angela should have been in game. But they're, they, they're not uh, because of Girl Meets World. But that's a story for another day. You know what I mean? I just, I, I can't get into it. It makes me upset, but I won't, I won't do it. I won't do it. I won't take myself to that point, but just know that I'm not happy. I'm not happy that it is what it is. Um, 
Yeah, I love this episode. And I think it's kind of like it's taken on a life of its own, really. Um, like it is so it's probably one of the, if not the most um, famous of the Boy Meets World episodes. I think it's kind of the episode that has taken on a life of its own, like I said. Um, and it is kind of created this its own little uh culture around it so much so there's a comic actually with that shares the same name as the episode and then there was sean that kind of expands a little bit upon what the episode was and um you know builds upon the the horror lore of everything and it's actually really really it's it's really interesting and the artwork for it is it's really quite good so if you get a chance look up and then there was sean the comic it's quite good so moving away making our way into the 2000s. It's actually the Disney Channel that brings us some really great Halloween specials too from sitcoms. Um, And right before recording this episode, I actually asked you guys what you thought the greatest TV Halloween specials were. Um, And one that was consistent other than, and then there were Sean, many people mentioned, and then there were Sean. Um, But the other really consistent one was from the first season of The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, which is The Ghosts in Suite 613, which is another episode that's kind of a parody of a famous horror movie. And this episode is like not so directly as with, um, and then there was Sean with Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer. But this episode is like an exorcist parody. Like <laughs> it involves Esteban, one of the, uh, the kind of main characters in the show, being possessed by this spirit um that's haunting the hotel and it, it like i said it's an it's an exorcist parody but it is so good it, this is one of the first specials that i actually remember watching as a kid because obviously i wasn't you know alive for the first three that i've mentioned but this was the first one that i remember watching as a kid and re-watching every single year and i'm not sure if they still play it on um disney channel i kind of i hope that they do because the new generation needs to take in the the excellence i would say of 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 this episode not just like of the show the show is pretty good too but like this episode in particular is kind of just like halloween sitcom just just gold you know like again perfectly campy a little bit of spooky scary but also with our favorite, like with the the overlay of our favorite characters. It's a win all around. There was actually an MTV article from Adrian Armante, who plays Esteban. Um, I, Esteban's full name is like Esteban Julio Ricardo Montoya de la Rosa Ramirez. It's like, it's five, it's a lot of names uh, for, for the sake of this episode. I'm just going to call him Esteban as he is known in the show. And he kind of talks about the actor, talks about how like massive the the episode was um, for for the show in general. And I think it kind of, because it was in the first season, it gave Disney Channel the kind of the, the heads up that people really enjoyed the show and gave it life for another, you know, two or three seasons. And that is kind of the, while, like while, Halloween sitcom episodes do exist kind of outside the main through line of the show, they still can provide and do really well for the show and as a whole, if people really resonate with what's 
you know, what's going on and what's happening. It's not just the Halloweenness of it, but like if it's a really good special, it can kind of cement a show um, in having continued success. Another Halloween special that people brought up, which I was kind of surprised by, honestly, was the um, Fellow of the Future Halloween special. And I'm sure most people listening to this this podcast right now are like, oh my God, you, there's two responses either. Oh my God, I have not heard the name Phil of the Future in quite a long time. Like that is a show that it was in the back of my mind that I have not recalled in quite a bit. Or you were like, what is Phil of the Future? <laughs> and Phil of the Future, if you don't know, was, um, uh, it was a show that was on Disney Channel around this time in this kind of like golden age of Disney Channel. I have an episode on the golden age or like the history of Disney Channel. If you're interested, take a take a little listen, um, a little shameless plug there. But in this kind of like mid 2000s era, there was a show called Phil of the Future. And it was about a uh, family from the future coming back to the present times at that time. So like I don't know, 2003, 2004, and they're trying to get like back to the future. Um, so it's, I guess it's like a weird offshoot of back to the future. It's strange. Um, but it was a really good show and it starred Ricky Ullman, uh, who I was convinced was going to be my husband when I, when I got older. Um, it hasn't happened yet, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> And also stars uh, Ali Mishalka, aka Ali from Ali and AJ. And it was a good show. I think it was an underrated show. Um, not a ton of people watched it per se, but like it's remembered. But the Halloween episode of it is is kind of remembered. And I think that's the, you know, it's the endearing legacy of, of a Halloween special. If a Halloween special is good, no matter what show it's from, it can kind of cement a somewhat like underrated, relatively forgotten show in the the echelons of of tv history because it just had a really good halloween special but going back to the sweet life of zach and cody um it's just it's one of those like the most i think that episode and the like musical the two musical episodes the one where they sing like at the tipton it's your place you said that one and then the high school musical crossover episode are amongst the most you know memorable of of the show um and it it touches on i think a really fun thing that was happening at disney channel at this time where there was truly something for everyone so you had the show about these twins who live in this hotel and then also another special that a lot of people mentioned around this time was that's a raven halloween special which that's a raven did holiday themed episodes like fantastic top to bottom but the halloween one was really interesting um and it's i think it's the one where they get like turned into cows or something and they do these like really good like like makeup like sfx work um for the episode again just off the wall like you have one show doing an exorcist parody with kids like doing a seance and then you have another one where the the kid main characters are turning into cows it was just a hotbed of creativity going on at this point and i think again that's why we that's why we love a sitcom halloween special it's just like i get to see characters i love just do random things for like 22 minutes and it's great it's amazing and so this finally 
brings us to modern times. And I think a good example of really great modern time Halloween specials comes from the world of adult animation. I've talked about adult animation on the pod before. Um, but the medium of animation has loved Halloween, obviously, since the beginning, starting with Charlie Brown that we mentioned at the top of the episode and moving into kind of the 70s and 80s. I forgot to mention there was a Dr. Seuss TV special akin to How the Grinch Stole Christmas called um, Halloween is Grinch Night. That's what it is. Halloween is Grinch Night, which is so weird and <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. It's just like a Grinch Halloween special that is apparently a prequel to the 1966 How the Grinch Stole Christmas TV special. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. But again, like I said, we, <laughs> we, uh, animation has, has loved a good Halloween special moving all the way up into the early nineties, obviously with TV's longest running Halloween tradition, I would say, which is The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror in 1990. I'm a big fan of The Simpsons. I love The Simpsons. And one of my favorite types of Simpsons episodes is the Treehouse of Horror episodes. I'm actually working my way back and watching them. So I've watched like, you know, some of the most recent ones and now I'm working my way back to the original ones. Um, but if you have not seen a Treehouse of Horror episode, which if you love TV, what are you doing? How have you not seen a Treehouse of Horror episode? Oh my gosh. But it's quite good. And it's, again, the perfect example of putting characters that you love in these very nonsensical horror themed situations. And for the Treehouse of Horror episodes, they're broken up into three segments. And the three th segments now don't really connect to each other. Um, but in the original uh, probably first four editions of Treehouse of Horror, there were these things called wraparounds that connected each segment together. Um, and it comes from basically the the premise of the show being Bart and Lisa telling horror stories in their treehouse, hence Treehouse of Horror. That's where the name came from. Um, but yeah, it's really, really good. And I want to give you, again, some more fun facts. It's just a fun facts episode. It's something so fun um, about about the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, which the first one being that it wasn't intended to be a, uh, a yearly thing. Uh, the first season of the show didn't have a formal Halloween episode. And it wasn't until the second season of the show that they got the first iteration of Treehouse of Horror. And at that time, it wasn't even called the Treehouse of Horror. It was called the Simpsons Halloween Special. And then it was given the name Treehouse of Horror because it was Bart and Lisa telling horror stories in their treehouse. So we all know that the Simpsons, each episode opens with a couch gag, which is pretty much the the family running into their living room to sit on the couch and something kind of crazy happens. Um, and as the, the series has gone on, the couch gag has become a lot more elaborate and a lot more fun and interesting. But uh, Treehouse of Horror episodes sometimes have couch gags and sometimes don't. In the early episodes, they didn't have couch gags proper. They kind of had cold opens with Marge coming in and giving kind of a um, viewer's discretion is advised speech about like what people were about to see. And it kind of like set up that you're watching a Simpsons episode that it's not like 
a regular Simpsons episode. Like there will be blood, there will be violence, like, you know, send your kids to bed now. Like they don't need to see this type of thing. And then as the Treehouse of Horror tradition went on, you got traditional couch gags. But in, like I said, in recent years, uh, there have been really elaborate couch gags directed by pretty acclaimed directors, including Guillermo del Toro, who did a couch gag that was a kind of a tribute to uh, Hitchcock films, which actually it's really good. I highly recommend that you you look it up. It's a perfect kind of I love when pop culture can converge together. You know, like I love that there is a Simpsons Halloween episode that has a cold open type of piece of animation that is a tribute to famed horror director Alfred Hitchcock that was directed by famed horror director Guillermo del Toro like all those layers of pop culture nests on top of it I just I eat it up I love it um so if you haven't watched the Treehouse of Horror in a while you will probably see a lot of different animation styles and you know different directors coming in they've really made it this like very artistic and creative forward uh tradition for for the for the series um the Treehouse of Horror idea obviously we know that the Simpsons runs on references and so the Treehouse of Horror borrows a lot of the inspiration uh, especially from the earliest segments from horror mainstays like uh, Tales from the Crypt and The Twilight Zone and even in later seasons I remember I think it's season 20 the Treehouse of Horror episode for season 20 even has a it's the great pumpkin Charlie Brown reference for one of its segments so it like i said if you watch the simpsons you know it's a show that's built on on references it runs on references but it is it, it kind of got its start with uh like tales of the crypt and the twilight zone and other just famous horror stories like there was in the first edition of trials of horror one of the segments is just the uh the characters of the show i think mainly just bart and homer acting out uh, one of my favorite poems ever which is the raven by edgar Allan poe and it's literally the whole segment is just that and it's narrated by james earl jones who's who is kind of like a through line of the first street house of horror episodes i couldn't tell you why he just he just is. He just shows up in in the uh, a vast majority of them in the earlier, in the earliest years of of the tradition. And rounding out some of my my last couple of of fun facts, um, the Treehouse of Horror tradition nearly ended with Treehouse of Horror three. Now the writers and animators on the series have said that it is notoriously more difficult to create Treehouse of Horror episodes because they're often much more complex and they have to fit three different segments that don't go together into one 21 minute episode. So obviously that is a pretty Herculean feat to to accomplish. And uh, Treehouse of Horror was kind of three was poorly received and it required so many edits that executive producers Al Jean and Mike Reese wanted to completely get rid of the Treehouse of Horror as a whole but ultimately they were kind of overruled by by everyone else because they loved it um but it's it was it's a slog to get through which I get it like for animation to do three different segments which is you know oftentimes has the characters off model which means they're not wearing their traditional you know like same outfit they're wearing different outfits so that requires a lot more you know like 
a lot more manpower to draw them in this different way. And, you know, sometimes you're drawing them in different styles that aren't native to the show. It's a lot of work. Um, but I think that they're really appreciated and enjoyed, uh, now, but working our way back to a modern context, I think the show that is really doing the sitcom Halloween special proud is actually Bob's Burgers. Um, if y'all have listened to me talk at any length, you know that I love Bob's Burgers. It's a show that thrives on mundanity and it's not thriving on mediocrity. It's just mundane. It's very simple. And that I think makes this show so strong because they can really focus in on the writing and focus in on the characters and how they work so well together. I love Bob's Burgers, um, but their Halloween specials are pretty good. And this is saying a lot because Bob's Burgers does their best, I think, holiday special like themed episodes. The best ones are for Thanksgiving because Bob is a chef. He loves food and obviously what is the foodie's best holiday it's thanksgiving um but their halloween specials are pretty good and it's mainly for two elements one of which is exclusive to the show and one of which is kind of indicative of why we love these specials as a whole which is the first one being the costumes every year for the bob's burgers halloween special from the show they have the kids in these costumes that are so just side-splittingly funny because you have no idea where they're going to go. And that's just kind of the writing of Bob's Burgers as a whole, right? Like it's just a show that at no point do you know really what a character is going to say next. And it's not in like a raunchy kind of provocative way. It's just in a like, that is so smart and so funny <laughs> type of way. I wasn't expecting it. Um, but they they have the kids in the just the funniest costumes. Like I think one year for an episode, Louise went as the dragon with a girl tattoo, which is a parody of the girl with the dragon tattoo. Hilarious. Um, I think Tina has gone as like a mommy mummy. So she's a mummy with a little baby doll. So she's a mommy. Jean gets the best ones. Um, Gene, I'm already laughing because the one of the funniest lines I've ever heard in my entire life written for television comes from this show. And it is Gene Belcher dressed up as Andre 3000 the Giant. It is so fun. I remember the first time I heard that line, I could not stop laughing because it was a mashup that I was not expecting, but it is so perfect for gene it's so it fits him so well it fits the voice of the show so well it's great and then to wrap up this episode and to wrap up my point um another great thing about the bob's burgers halloween specials and it's something that appears in a lot of these specials that i mentioned is that oftentimes halloween specials are ensemble pieces so if in a show we have a bunch of these you know storylines that are kind of running concurrently with one another we're bouncing between different little cliques within a cast um the halloween special is usually where everyone in the cast is seen on screen together first oftentimes the first time in a in a season um and the bob's burgers is no different that's they the belcher family tends to be together a lot but you can guarantee that you're going to have some really really great 
ensemble work with these episodes. And that's why we love them. We love seeing all of our characters together, working with each other together. And even in the, and then there were Sean, um, the, uh, and then there were Sean episode, the cast has mentioned in talking about the episode that they loved it because they got to work all together for the first time in a long time, um, like within a season. Because it's very possible that, you know, it's Sean and Corey spending a lot of time together or Topanga spending time by herself or, you know, like Sean and, and Angela, like it's a lot of different little groups. And then we can have this episode where everyone is together. It makes it really great, not only for the cast, but also for the audience as a whole. And that's why we love them. It kind of reminds us, it's an episode that reminds us why we love these characters, why we love their dynamics and why we love the world that they live in. And this isn't to say that I'm neglecting all Halloween TV as a whole, because obviously there is a whole different world of Halloween themed TV that are not like from sitcoms. They're just, you know, either spooky, scary, like TV shows, like horror TV proper. Um, And that's really having a big, big time right now with like the Chucky series that's on, I think maybe USA, I think. Um, and then also a personal favorite of mine, which I will get into the show and the topic of the show as a whole, the week of Halloween, you gotta be, be here for that podcast episode because it's going to be a blast, but the show that it is horror TV proper that has captured my heart right now, which is interview with the vampire. It just so, oh my gosh, it's so Huh, it's so good. It's such a good show. I will, I'm holding myself back right now, but probably when this podcast is done, when I'm done editing and, and finishing recording this podcast, I will be watching last night's episode again. That is just how that show has sunk its teeth into me, all puns intended, and I can't get rid of it. So be on the lookout for me waxing poetic about Interview with the Vampire later in the month. But for for now, we're talking about sitcom Halloween specials and why we love them. And and I love them. They're some of my favorite pieces of television. Um, It gets it always gets me in the spooky spirit. And I hope we we talked about some that you love. And if I didn't mention anything, you got to let me know, like, what are some some Halloween sitcom specials that you love and what puts you in, in the spooky spirit? so i hope you enjoyed today's episode afternooners if you don't know the afternooners is my name for all of us so if you made it to the end of this episode congratulations you're an afternooner now if you like this episode don't forget to rate and review this podcast if you had a good time it helps out the pod you get to tell me how you're feeling about the pod and i get that sweet hit of praise and validation that is my life force and keeps me going If you want to know where else to find me on the internet, you can find me at The Afternoon Special on TikTok or Instagram or over on Twitter at Hi, I'm Bobby, H-I-I-M-B-O-B-B-I. I'm I'm a fun time on Twitter and um, oftentimes I am talking about Interview with the Vampire, the series. Let's be real. Let's be real. I am. And I'm sorry and I won't apologize for it, okay? Um... (laughs) If you're thinking, Bobby, I've got to compile my list of my favorite sitcom Halloween specials. I'm not going to remember all of that. I totally get it. And I'm with you. And just for you, I put all of that information in the description down below. 
As you can probably tell, I spent a little bit of time researching for these episodes, pulling all these fun facts, all these behind the scenes stories, etc, etc. And that means that I am listening to quite a bit of music while I'm doing it. And so I thought I'd share what this week's episode was powered by. This week's episode was powered by my vampire Spotify playlist. Now, I'm not gonna brag. But it's a pretty good playlist. It gets you in the vampy in the vampy spirit. It was born the day after I saw um, what I consider to be films, you know, greatest greatest showcasing from this year, which is uh, the inter- the invitation. Um, it, the invitation. Who guessed it? Vampire film. Um, I've made a video about it on TikTok, and I never shut up about it on Twitter. Um, I'm, I love vampires and you guys will see that later, later, <laughs> later this month. I do. I really do love vampires. Um, but I made this, uh, playlist and I actually, we, we made this playlist. I should say, I asked a lot of you guys on Twitter, like what, what songs get you in kind of the, the vampire mood? What songs do you think a vampire would listen to? And you gave me some really good ones. And the ones that I have been kind of fixating on are, uh, Blood in the Wine by Aurora. That's what I've been listening to quite a bit, especially in doing this this podcast episode. So I'll link the po- the the playlist down below if you want to listen to it. Take a little peeky weeky. It's pretty good, I should say. I updated because I forgot that I've shared it publicly, so I just share songs that get me in the vampy spirit um, and that I like to it somewhat regularly. So if that sounds good to you, there you go. It's there. So I hope you enjoyed this week's chat and that you will join me again next week for another pop culture deep dive. Later days, friends. Are you a Marvel fan? Matt, you know I am. Jeff, I was asking the listener. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought it seemed like a weird question because, you know, we've been doing a Marvel podcast together for nine years now. No, no. I was trying to grab the attention of all the Marvel fans out there for this ad. Oh, I thought it was weird, too. You should definitely warn us. Good note, Ashley. Well, if you like Marvel movies and TV as much as we do, join us for the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. He did it again. Hi, just checking in and seeing if you might want to step away from the noise of the world for just a moment and connect back to you. If so, join me on my podcast, Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon where we'll explore mindfulness, self-love, and personal growth as I share practical insights and tools to hopefully help inspire you to start to take charge of your mental and emotional well-being. Search for Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now.